Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. If these resources have been a blessing to you, we would be honored if you would consider making a donation to our church building fund. To learn more about this unique challenge ahead of us and to partner with us for a gospel legacy in Missoula, please visit achurchbuilding.com. That's achurchbuilding.com. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Uh, Father, uh, just as we open up uh, the book of Jonah and finish this short mini-series, God, I just pray that your will would be done. Lord, work in our hearts um, to just see how you are the Lord of all. Help us to think about our responses. Help us to think about how we interact with your word and your holiness. And God, I pray that you would do a work in us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Johnny Kudrowski. I'm much more comfortable with a guitar in my hands. And uh, today, I get to preach. Uh, But it's so good to be with you today. I'm really glad that we get to finish up the book of Jonah. Today is part two in a two-part series. Uh, We'll be focusing our attention on chapters three and four. Um, And where the first two chapters of Jonah, uh, they focus on a disobedient prophet. He's been given this message that he does not want to bring. Chapters three and four are about the responses of the Ninevites and of Jonah when God's message is finally delivered. What we do with God's word when it comes to us, it will have a dramatic effect on the trajectory of our lives. How we respond to God's word matters. The way we respond and the changes that we make in light of God's holiness and truth, they have this continuing and compounding effect on our lives. For the Christian, our joy will increase in orders of magnitude as our knowledge of and our, uh, our, our delight in God's word deepens and increases over a lifetime. Because as we trust the Lord and we encounter his goodness, his trustworthiness, his steadfast love, we taste and see that the Lord is good. It both satisfies us and it makes us hungry for more. Alternatively, if our hearts are hardened to the things that God cares about, if our obedience is begrudging or reluctant, or if we obey conditionally, uh, obeying God with a a what's-in-it-for-me attitude, if that's where we're at, then joy in God, joy in his word, joy in Christ, and joy in the gospel, it will always seem far off. It will always be out of reach. More than that, we may be in real danger, in need of a heart change that only God can provide. When God's word comes to you, it always produces responses. Just look at Jonah. God's word came to him, and he ran. But God's word comes to the Ninevites, and they repent. What's your relationship like with God's word? What effect does it have on your life? When God's word comes to you, what do you do with it? So let's begin today, answer some of those questions, and open up uh, Jonah chapter 3 and look at what happened to Nineveh when God's word came to them. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. 
And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. If you were were here with us last time when I was preaching, there's something that should stick out to you right away. Um, And it's in the first three verses. Uh, Verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So unlike the first time, Jonah now obeys God. He's kind of learned his lesson after uh, the time in the fish. Uh, This is a big change from chapter 1, when he booked his ticket to Tarshish to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. And so following the dramatic events of chapters 1 and 2, Jonah's running, the great storm, the great fish that swallowed him, We see God's grace extended to Jonah because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. God shows his steadfast, patient forbearance here. And if you're a believer in here today, then I'm sure that you too can recall God's grace in second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And Jonah's experience of God here. And God's patience, it isn't unique or special to him. This is who our God is. God delights in a turnaround. God delights in your turnaround. And so Jonah takes a big step of faith. He moves in the right direction. He brings God's word into the city, and the people of Nineveh respond in a very unexpected way. And I said that we'd be looking at responses this morning, and our first one is this. Nineveh's response to God was repentance. Now let's finish up the rest of chapter 3. Jonah 3, verse 5 to 10. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way And from the violence that's in his hands, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is a pretty epic turnaround. Back in the first chapter of Jonah, God gives us the reason for why Nineveh is on his radar in the first place. He tells Jonah in chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. This great city, one of the greatest threats to God's people, Israel, world-renowned for its evil, 
They were practicing evil to such a degree that it moves God to threaten intervention at, you might say, a biblical level. <laughs> Laugh. <laughs> I'm trying, guys. <laughs> and yet the people of Nineveh believed God. Nineveh repented. It's a miracle. So when you hear the word miracle, especially in our context here, church people, most of whom are probably familiar with biblical stories, miracle. You might think of Moses parting the Red Sea or fire falling from heaven for Elijah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You might think of Daniel safe in the lion's den. Or maybe your thoughts jump immediately to the New Testament, you know? Maybe, maybe you're a Jesus person and you're thinking about he's healing diseases, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Miracles, they show us God's great power. But I tell you, without a doubt, the greatest miracle that God does in the book of Jonah has nothing to do with a fish. The greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is chapter 3, verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Only God could cause 120,000 hearts to change, that they might go from being uniquely brutal and evil in the world to fasting crying out to the true God for mercy, clothed in sackcloth, lying in ashes, the greatest to the least, wearing the physical and cultural garments of repentance. Like all miracles, it's almost beyond belief. The fact that the people of Nineveh believed God after Jonah's pathetic missionary journey, it says all that we need to know about the effectiveness of God's word. God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to go and to tell. But like we heard from Jonah himself in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. Our stumbling and our fumbling efforts, they're not determinative when it comes to whether or not somebody believes God and repents. Salvation in Jonah's day, in Jesus' day, and in our day belongs to the Lord. And he gets all the glory for it. This should transform your idea of evangelism. It should embolden you to speak. Because if God can use Jonah's message to bear great fruit, then surely he can use yours. By our efforts, we can't save anyone. But as the gospel goes out, even imperfectly, the truth of God's word resonates so profoundly within the hearts of those whom God is calling that they cannot resist the message of God's grace. Like it says in Romans 9, 15, and 16, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Jonah didn't save anyone, but as the sin of Nineveh was exposed in the light of God's holiness, hearts were transformed. The people of Nineveh repented. Like it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. 
and he did not do it. They heard from God, and they changed their ways. God saw what they did. He answered their call, and they were saved. They were spared. God did not destroy them. You know, sometimes when my kids say that they're sorry to one another, they're not actually sorry. (laughs) They're sorry that they're in trouble. They regret that consequences have come into their life. They don't necessarily regret the pain that their actions have caused. And so you might think to yourself, was the repentance of Nineveh genuine, or was it just for show? Well, all we see in the text is what's said here, but later in the New Testament, Jesus himself actually affirms their repentance. And so look at what he says here in Matthew 12, starting at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, the religious critics of Jesus' day, they continued to scheme and sin until he was crucified. They heard his preaching in the countryside. They heard it in the synagogues. They had the Son of God in their midst preaching about the kingdom of God. And yet, when the word of the Lord came, the people of Nineveh believed God, and the Pharisees did not. Repentance is a gift that comes from God, and so he knows if it is true. For the Ninevites, the mark of repentance was that they stopped their evil. As a follower of Christ, to repent of your sin, it means that your life is different. To repent of a sin, it means that the sin stops. You put it off. You lay it in Jesus' grave along with your old life. Laying down the old life of sin And wearing the new life clothed in the righteousness of Jesus is part of what it means to be born again. And we must be born again. Jesus in John 3.3 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And considering the beautiful illustration of baptism that we just saw earlier, which itself is a picture of being born again, in Romans 6, 4, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so the born-again believer puts off sin, and then puts on righteousness. So if you feel as though your spiritual walk has slowed to a crawl, and that you're struggling to grow in maturity, 
Have you considered that you might be attempting to hold on to sin and righteousness at the same time? Sometimes we have a problem with this. We think that if we become consistent with our Bible study or attend more church events, maybe never miss a community group, that it will solve all our problems, that we will mature spiritually. And I want to warn you, you will hit a ceiling in your spiritual maturity if you continually add spiritual disciplines to your life without letting go of sin. Spiritual disciplines. Bible reading, prayer, coming to church. These things are good. They're even great. But for us to grow and be healthy in our faith, we don't get to cling to Jesus while clinging to sin. Faith in Christ will require all of you. You will have to change. Repentance is not lip service or a mental assent to the truth of God. If the Ninevites had believed Jonah's message but continued in their evil, God would have destroyed them. Repentance requires change. It bears fruit, the produce of godly sorrow, and it's a gift from God. And if you know you need to repent and you don't know where to start, pray. Ask God to give you this gift. So is there anything you need to repent of? Is there sin that you have thoughtlessly made normal or routine in your life? We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together here in a little while, and I'd encourage you to examine your heart today and be honest before God. God is gracious He was gracious to give the gift of repentance to the people of Nineveh in Jonah's day. And today, if you call out to him, he will be gracious to you. God's grace comes to Nineveh. The Ninevites repent. And Jonah rejoices in God's salvation. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that. That's not what he does. I wish it were the case. I'd be able to go back over there, pick up a guitar and get us out of here. But Jonah's going to Jonah. He's going to make <laughs> He's going to make my life difficult. Here we are point number 2, Jonah's response. Jonah's response to God is frustration. Open up to Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city He sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade to his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. 
And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, Jonah, you know, he was making progress there for a minute. He had this big step of faith. He moves in the right direction. He was being obedient to God. It was a good start. But there's a uh, misstep in his turnaround. I think you see it too. It's incomplete. So think about it. In chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, the book of Jonah gives us what might seem like some inconsequential geographic information. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So he's obedient. I mean, he went to Nineveh. He went inside. But like, just inside? And once he gets there, he delivers what might be the shortest and worst preaching recorded in the Bible. Jonah gives a new preacher like me hope. <laughs> Jonah's message to the Ninevites, one day's journey into the city, that's three days long, it consists of eight words. You see it in verse 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. And from the text, you get the impression, or at least I do, that Jonah, he got to the gate of Nineveh, he walked across the city for a day, he said his message, he dropped the mic, he walked away, right? So was Jonah obedient? Maybe technically, but what does he do after he preaches? While word is spreading like wildfire through Nineveh and people are genuinely turning to the Lord in repentance, verse 5 tells us that Jonah walks out of the city, heads east to where there's a good view, makes himself a booth or a shelter so that he can sit there and watch the fireworks rain down on his enemy. This is what life was like before YouTube. Even stranger and very unexpected, is that while Jonah's out there fixing up his camp, God appoints a plant to grow and bring shade to Jonah. Verse 6, God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. God sees what Jonah's doing, and it's almost like he's asking, are you comfy? Is there anything I can do to make your stay here more comfortable? <laughs> little shade. <laughs> Jonah's exceedingly glad about this plant. Those are the words. It's the only thing in the whole book of Jonah that he's exceedingly glad about. He's not glad about his assignment or the fact that the Ninevites might turn from their sin. It doesn't even say that he's glad to be out of the fish. Jonah's not recorded as having like a worship sesh after he gets out of the belly of the fish. <laughs> the first time Jonah's happy in the book of Jonah is when he notices that this plant is providing shade to his front row seat of what he hopes will be Nineveh's destruction. So I'll ask it again. Was Jonah obedient? Yeah. <laughs> 
but something is still obviously wrong. As Christians, we desire to be obedient to God's word and his commands. We know that there's safety in them, that when we live in the way that God designed us to, it will lead to our flourishing and our happiness. But as humans, still struggling with sinful desires and foolish pride, sometimes something is wrong with our obedience, just like Jonah. Just like Jonah, we can be frustrated about what God is doing or how he is doing it. We can obey, but we don't always see God's command as good. We don't want to cross the line into the sin, but maybe we want to get as close to the line as we can. For example, maybe you're like this with your use of alcohol. We have this amazing brewery culture in Missoula. People gathering together with friends, enjoying a drink. Children are playing all around. It was really remarkable for me to see because where I grew up, we didn't have breweries and bars were for getting drunk. That's what they were for. You know, just because the culture is different here and better, much better, it doesn't mean that the same desire isn't at work in the heart. Maybe you've heard the warnings in Scripture against drunkenness and the clear call that it is sin to be drunk, but in your heart, the way that you functionally approach drunkenness is where is the line because I'd like to be right up to it. It can even be like this with our giving, where we're obedient to give, but our hearts just aren't in it. And we give because we feel we must, not because we're glad to, not because we have cheerful or generous hearts. We want to get out the calculator, make sure that not only our needs, but all of our wants are met before we consider what we might give back to God. So maybe you can say that's me to one or both of these examples. Or maybe there's something else that the Lord is convicting you of now. I'm sure that every one of us can find examples in our lives where our obedience was reluctant, even resentful at times. This is Jonah's problem, and I want us to see it's our problem too. Praise God that he still works through reluctant obedience, showing his power in our weakness. God continues to do amazing things in the midst of our broken and imperfect obedience. Continuing in Jonah, Jonah wakes up the next morning to find that the plant which made him exceedingly glad has been destroyed by a worm appointed by God. Jonah is already frustrated that God might show mercy on Nineveh. It doesn't make any sense to him. But now, with the death of Jonah's special shade plant in the desert and a scorching wind on the horizon, God turns the dial up to 11 to expose what's in Jonah's heart. And then we get it. We get a full-on second-grade-style temper tantrum with dramatic exasperation <laughs> punctuated by Jonah talking back to God. It says in verse 7 to 9, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is Better for me to live than to die, or better for me to die than to live. <laughs> but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry 
for the plant. He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I, I like, can't keep a straight face. I, like, this is maybe one of the funniest things I've read in Scripture. Uh, there's such a ridiculousness to it, right? Can't even get through it. Can't even say it right. He talks to God like this. Think about the boldness of talking to God this way. It's astounding, the dynamic of God and Jonah's relationship here. It truly seems like that of a patient and a long-suffering parent caring for a child who just wants to watch the world burn. It's astounding that God doesn't simply say, you know what, I'm done with you. (laughs) Because for me, it takes almost all of my powers of patience just to help my two-year-old Ezra eat quinoa. (laughs) Have you ever helped a two-year-old eat quinoa? It should be a punishment. He oscillates between like delighting and taking these sticky grains of destruction and like rubbing it in the table and putting it in his hair. Or he's hysterically crying about how it tastes bleh. (laughs) Yes, I do well to be angry, right? That's what I hear when I hear this. A child throwing a fit. Jonah talks this way to God. He's frustrated with him and yet at the heart of it, We already know that this is what Jonah knows about God. Chapter 4, verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's responses to God have this truth in the background. Jonah knows what God is like. This is part of why he can talk to God this way. We should not emulate Jonah's disobedience. We should not emulate Jonah's half-hearted obedience. We should avoid temper tantrums in general. It's not a good look for anyone. But we should long for this kind of honesty before God, willing to be truly known by Him, bringing to Him our weaknesses, our failures, and our frustrations, knowing that it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that lasting change in our hearts becomes possible. And all of it grounded in the knowledge that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Ninevites responded in repentance. Jonah responded in frustration. And in the last part of the book of Jonah, we see God's response. We see God's heart. We see what motivated the missionary journey in the first place. And why God is so patient to Jonah. And so God's response is compassion. He has pity on us. Look with me at Jonah chapter 4, verse 10 to 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You know, sometimes as a preacher, there can be pressure to land the plane, to get to the point, to figure out how this thing is going to end. 
In this passage, we have God as the master teacher and preacher. And in a relatively small amount of words, he gets to the heart of the matter. He created this moment where the plant was responsible both for making Jonah comfortable and uncomfortable. And its purpose was for this moment, to set Jonah up so that he might see the great compassion of God. God doesn't say that Jonah was wrong to be sad that the plant perished. He says, you pity the plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, Jonah? The great city? People who don't know their right hand from their left? What's amazing about all of this is that these people were enemies of God. They were idol worshipers. They were enemies of God's people, Israel. They were a cutthroat, brutal people. And God says, should I not pity Nineveh? The book of Jonah is a story about how God is the Lord of all. It's a story about how God is the Lord of all. That's what Jonah's about. He's the Lord of the wind and the sea, the Lord of the deep and all the creatures in it, the Lord of the plants, the worms, and the cattle. He is the Lord of frustrated and reluctant followers. And he is the Lord of those who are his enemies. God is the Lord of all. And when he looks at his enemies, he has compassion. He says, they don't know. They don't even know their right hand from their left, Jonah. Should I not pity them, my creation? Praise God that this is how he sees his enemies. Because we were God's enemies. This is part of what makes the gospel such good news. The theologian A.W. Tozer said that until we believe that we are as bad as God says we are, we can never believe that he will do for us what he says he will do. And in Romans 5, 6 to 10, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Our sin separated us from God, caused us to be spiritually dead and without hope, with no way to make things right by our own efforts. And God sent his son to be the better Jonah, the willing missionary. While Jonah flees to Tarshish, Jesus doesn't run from his task. And even when it's difficult, he perfectly submits to the will of the Father. Jonah finishes his journey and only goes partway into the town of Nineveh. But Jesus goes all the way to the cross, paying the penalty for our sins against God. It was like Jonah was dead when he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. 
But Jesus really died in our place and spent three days in the grave. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is working salvation in our hearts as we become alive in Christ through faith. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What wondrous love God has for his creation. We could never have dreamed of the lengths that God would go to redeem a people for himself. God is the Lord of all. And it's all his. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. It doesn't matter what your background is or where you come from, how you grew up, what the color of your skin is. The invitation of the gospel is for everyone. Even those far off. Even those who have been enemies of God. Because everyone is made in the image of God. God reluctantly took his message to Nineveh, but Jesus takes his message to the world. As we prepare to end our time together, and in light of God's great compassion for you when his word came to you, is there some way that God is calling you to respond today? Is there a reluctance and obedience that needs to stop A pattern of sin that needs to end. Compassion for the lost that needs to grow. Bring your heart to God and ask him to help you respond in a way that might glorify God and honor Christ because of the great compassion that he's had on you. Just a moment, Tyler's going to come up and lead us in communion. I'll move back over there to lead us in worship, but for now, let's close this time in prayer. Father God, we're so grateful that you love your enemies. Lord, that you have uh, demonstrated your great love for people when Jesus came and died on the cross. Lord, if we had any doubts that you loved us, that you cared for us. Lord, we can look to the cross. We can see uh, the infinite chasm that was between us and you. And we can praise Jesus for closing the gap, paying the penalty for our sin, and bringing us into fellowship. Lord, I pray that for the ways that we are all reluctant in our obedience, God, that you might uh, continue your sanctifying work in our hearts, melt the heart of stone, help us to love people the way that you do, to see sin the way that you do. Lord, I pray that we would honor you with holiness and purity. Lord, begin in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, we pray that we would, uh, even this day, God, honor you with all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.